So this morning's reading can be found in Romans chapter 14, and that's verses 1 to 21, which is on page 1140 of the Church Bibles. Romans 14, 1 to 21. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else 
to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Rosie, and a very good morning to all of you. Uh, we're going to be looking at that passage from Romans 14. Uh, if you'd like to have that uh, turned up, please. Uh, as we continue this series uh, about looking at the different things uh, that are said that we should do or be uh, for one another in uh, the New Testament. And today uh, we've got to this passage about uh, judging one another. Now, one reason that we uh, might resist honoring each other, which is what we were looking at last week, is that we find each other so annoying. Um, we find each other hypocritical and full of hang-ups and inconsistencies. And yet, at the same time, uh, many of us don't like about ourselves that we become a bit judgy and a bit hypocritical of other people. We, we don't like it in ourselves either. Uh, which brings us to Romans 14, 13, where Paul says, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And in the time we have, I just want to try and get uh, through what this actually means. We need to stand back, first of all, and think about the situation in the Roman church to which Paul was writing. It was an international church. It was full of different kinds of people. And they had a variety of quarrels. The quarrels that are, uh, in a sense, in the forefront in this chapter were quarrels firstly over, can a Christian eat meat and all food, or should they be a vegetarian? That's quarrel number one. Quarrel number two is, are you more holy if you celebrate lots of religious high days and holidays? Now, before we dive into that, a note about being vegetarian in the first century. There were many first, uh, many first century vegetarians. Uh, on the whole, they were vegetarian either through necessity, i.e. poverty, uh, or uh, because of a concern about ritual and moral uh, cleanliness. Uh, they weren't really vegetarians for the reasons that we might recognize, environmental concern or animal welfare concern. Uh, now, I experienced this earlier this year when we were still in Chesham, uh, when we had the imam and his family came uh, to dinner with us. And over the years, we'd built up this lovely relationship with them. Uh, they came to dinner with us. And so I spent uh, a while talking with the imam's son on the phone about uh, what meat I could serve at the meal. And he told me everything. So then I went to the local halal butcher and I said, look, I'm, the imam's coming around, uh, and so I need to get it just right. And so he found me just the right cut of meat that had been sourced in just the right way. And I got a discount because it was the imam coming uh, for supper. Um, so it was all good. The concern of contemporary Jews and Muslims is regarding whether the meat that they eat is halal or kosher. Uh, and that means, has it been correctly sourced and has it been killed in the appropriate way? Uh, the concern is not that it is meat, but it's to do with whether it has been prepared and sourced in the right way. And the same was true of some of the Christians in Rome. Now, I'm not ducking the issue, I promise, but it is a whole other discussion as to whether 21st century Christians should or should not be vegetarians. 
uh, but we're not going to go there today. Uh, but I'd love to know what you think. So there is painful disagreement in Rome between Christians uh, regarding diet and regarding the observation of holy days. And the division lines fall between established Christians like Paul, who take a more relaxed view on both of those issues, and younger, probably Gentile Christians, whose backgrounds potentially have made them very sensitive to how the meat that you buy at the market has been treated. And so in a sense, they're very sensitive about that, and they want to do the right thing. Paul believes in a creator God. And so therefore, everything that is in God's world is good and is to be enjoyed and can't be made toxic by anything that humans do to it on a moral and ritual sense. Uh, Paul knew about Peter's vision uh, where God declared to Peter all foods were clean. He knew that in Mark 7, Jesus declares all foods clean. God's good world he thinks, is to be enjoyed. And as far as holidays are concerned and holy days, uh, Paul is not really bothered. Uh, what matters, he says, is that if we make a decision about observing things like that, that the decision is done with the aim of glorifying and honoring God. That's the key thing. Now, if you've read other parts of the New Testament, you will know that Paul is often a rather feisty opponent when eternal truth is at stake, as should we. So why does Paul take a gentler and more pragmatic line here? He urges acceptance. He urges patience, living with different views, kindness, and a deep respect for the decisions that others have made in good conscience. Don't pass judgment on one another, he says. If your sister or brother is stressed out by what you, in good conscience, are eating, then don't eat it. Honor their conscience. Treat them tenderly. Don't look down your nose at them. Now, in saying their faith is weak, that is the faith of those who take a different view, Paul is saying that they haven't yet worked out the full consequences of God being our creator and Jesus being our crucified and risen Lord and our judge. And this is how Paul approached this. He was willing both to carry on persuading people uh, of what he held as the deeper Christian truth, that morally no food was unholy or tainted, and that observing special days in special ways didn't make you a better Christian. And at the same time, he wants to say sensitive to other Christians, and if appropriate, he will change his behavior for their sake. And it's really important to Paul that the faith of fellow Christians particularly those of younger Christians, is not shipwrecked by overbearing believers. I trust it's important to us too. Now, like me, you will have some questions about how this all works out. The main one is this. What are the disputable matters that Paul refers to in Romans 14, verse 1? If you look at the first verse, he says, "...except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters." So what is a disputable matter? We know for sure that Paul is not saying that when it comes to the body of Christ, just agree to disagree on every matter of faith. 
So it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you just tolerate each other and get on with things, then that's fine. Paul is clearly not saying that. We know from Galatians, for instance, that on quite a similar issue, whether Jewish Christians should share food with Gentiles, Paul has the ding-dong of all ding-dongs with Peter about this very issue, and he calls him out and challenges him publicly. Of course, the real question is, who decides what a disputable matter is? What happens when I think an issue is disputable, or sometimes we use the language of it being secondary, and you think it's primary and non-negotiable? What happens in those circumstances? Well, we have some advice here. We do so respectfully, remembering that we are all servants of God, and we will all appear before the same judge. And so we have to all search our own hearts before we go arguing and criticizing others to make sure that we are acting with motives that are pure and that are honoring God. We also have to use the whole of the Bible wisely and with the accumulated wisdom of the church to work out the difference between Christian essentials and things that we can respectfully disagree about. The Christian creeds are a brilliant guide here, a summary of the foundations of the faith. Now, my own experience, and yours uh, may be different, my own experience, I've worshipped and served alongside uh, Christians with whom I've disagreed about all kinds of things. Who gets to be baptized? Now, I'm pro-infant baptism. I know others aren't. I've worked and worshipped alongside uh, Christians with whom I disagree uh, when it comes to the role of women in leadership. I am unbelievably pro and grateful for the contribution of women at all levels of the church. I've worshipped and served alongside people who have uh, different feelings about the rights and wrongs of Brexit. Uh, but it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> I've worked and worshipped alongside uh, Christians who have different ideas about what is actually happening at the communion table. And it was my privilege when I was in Chesham uh, to regularly share friends uh, with my great, uh, great uh, share communion with my great friend, uh, Father Alessandro, the Catholic priest. And uh, he would always, when he was celebrating uh, mass in his own church, uh, would publicly give me the bread and the wine uh, first. And so we had very different ideas, or quite different ideas, about what was going on. Uh, but we had found middle ground uh, together. I worshipped and served alongside uh, Christians uh, who disagree with me or have different views about the style of music that is God's favorite. <laughs> and I have to say that I love a bit of everything. Uh, there's loads more besides. Uh, you may sit on other sides of all of these issues, but we serve together as a church family and we build God's kingdom here and we learn to hold each other in respect. Now, as you know, I am quite a friendly and respectful sort, uh, but there have been times uh, when I've said to someone, we, we're going to stay friends, and I'll do all that I can, but if you're going to go down that particular theological road, it is going to be very difficult for us to stand shoulder to shoulder in ministry together. And that has been incredibly painful, uh, but I believe necessary. Let me offer two case studies as we close. Uh, first one is this. Bernie says, I know the Ten Commandments say don't steal, but 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, all things are yours. 
So I've decided that God is telling me that I can help myself to anything I want, and if you disagree with me, you are clearly uptight and way too legalistic. Now, you might say to Bernie, actually, there are plenty of texts in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that prohibit stealing and urge respect for other people's property and contentment with what we have. And there are important New Testament texts that encourage us to engage lovingly with Bernie, and the aim is to help her see the bigger picture. And so verses like Galatians 6, 1, and Matthew 18, 15 following would give us a blueprint of how to lovingly get alongside Bernie and say, I think you've not got that one right. Can we sit down and chat it through together? But what about Johnny? Johnny reads in Leviticus 19, 19 that the Israelites should not wear clothes that are made from two different kinds of material. And so he feels obliged to get rid of all of his cotton and polyester shirts. And he starts telling his small group that they should do the same. Now, to Johnny, we might say, well, this is up to your individual conscience, Johnny. The important thing is that if you've made that decision, the decision is made because you want to honor Christ, because you want to give glory to him through the way that you live. And we might even remember uh, to wear our 100% cotton T-shirts to the next small group meeting just as a way of acknowledging him and recognizing that decision that he's come to. So where have we got to overall when we think about being the church? This one another and the one another's that are in this passage really follow on from honor one another. It's the flip side. It's when there is disagreement over disputable things. How are we to treat each other? We're not to condescend as older Christians not to make wild and immediate judgments as younger Christians. Instead, we're called to two things. First, mutual respect. That within the body, we honor one another, that we value one another, uh, and uh, we really do our very best uh, to give each other credit and uh, to love each other. The second thing, though, is a call for a deep commitment to the spiritual well-being and the flourishing of all of our sisters and brothers. That's what's underlying this passage, that all of us should be deeply invested not only in ourselves, but actually in the flourishing of other Christians. Uh, I've countless times had conversations with funerals, uh, funeral families and often people will say to me, I think because they're a bit embarrassed, they say, well, well, Dad sort of was a Christian, but he didn't really go to church very much. And, it, you know, and you can either let that slide, and that's obviously the temptation, because they're, then since they're wanting you not to think badly of them, I tend to come back and say, wow, that is really hard. Because I don't know how I would ever be a Christian without being part of a church community. It's really, really hard to be a Christian on your own. And there are all these one-anothers that span the New Testament, and they're there to show us that we need one another. And they're there to show us that rather than simply being absorbed about our own spiritual journey, that we should be deeply invested in our sisters and our brothers growing in faith. And so we will begin to bring this passage to life when we try and we succeed, at least at times, not to be judgy 
and not to be patronizing to other Christians with whom we disagree on secondary issues. That's when we'll begin to bring this passage to life. We will really start flying in being the church together when the journey of faith of other Christians and that journey of faith flourishing and then growing in faith, when that journey of faith is more important than proving them wrong over secondary issues that we disagree on. That's when this passage comes to life. Now, I've not been here long enough to know all the things that are bubbling beneath the surface here. I'm absolutely, I'm clueless. I've got no idea. I've got one or two. <laughs> Three. But the question is, are we going to be so committed to one another that we see as primary importance that the other person grows in their faith? That is the first thing that we want and that we treasure and that we pray. And way down the line is proving them wrong in a discussion or an argument. But in my experience of myself and of other churches, obviously not Christ Church, is that normally the two are inverted and that we really love scoring points against people and we really love being proved right and we're not actually that bothered about whether other Christians really grow and mature. So as we consider this one another alongside all the other one another's, let's value, honor, pray for one another and be deeply invested in each other growing in our faith. Amen.